And that was the newest, most kick-ass intro for The Conspiracy Farm, done by the voice, one of the voices of Axis TV Fights ring announcer, Mike Kendall. And today, we have a couple more voices from Axis TV Fights, one that we all know and love, UFC Hall of Famer Pat Militich. And joining the show today, his partner in crime, his broadcast partner, Mr. Michael Chavello, the author of Know Thyself, Using the Symbols of Freemasonry to Improve Your Life. Mr. Chavello, how are you, sir? Jeffrey, Pat, it's great to be on here with you guys. Great to be with you, man. This is going to be an interesting conversation because we're going to tumble down that little rabbit hole about um, Freemasonry. And as I did show prep, very, uh, no pun intended, very illuminating, but also it just made me have more questions than answers, and hopefully you guys can help with that. Um, if you guys don't mind, just like a basic uh, definition. I mean, there's so many different uh, misnomers and misconceptions. What is Freemasonry to you, gentlemen? Go ahead, Michael. I don't think I don't think there's such a, a thing as a basic definition of Freemasonry, which is something that makes it so interesting. Freemasonry is something different for everybody. In my opinion, Freemasonry is really uh, simply a path of self-improvement. There are many paths that people can take towards self-improvement. Some people do meditation, some people do yoga, some people do martial arts, some people take courses of higher learning, and Freemasonry is just another path towards self-improvement that has been time-tested and proven over hundreds of years, and so many great people have been Freemasons and so many successful people over the centuries that really it has proven to be a very successful path of self-improvement. Of course, if you ask most Freemasons, the official answer you'll get as to what Freemasonry is, is they'll say Freemasonry is a beautiful system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols, which is a beautiful phrase, but yes. uh, I think a little ineffective in truly conveying what Freemasonry does. But at, at its most simplest, I believe Freemasonry is really a, a path of self-improvement. And I think, it, I think, and Michael, you'll probably agree with this, that it, it almost adapts to the user's mind, right, to... It, it I agree, Pat. I agree completely. I think as much as someone puts into Freemasonry is what they get out. And what you want from Freemasonry is usually what you get. So, for example, you get Freemasons that just want to be a Freemason for the camaraderie, for seeing a bunch of guys week in, week out that are on the same level of them, uh, you know, that have no discriminations and, and, and no prejudices and, and are high thinkers. And they enjoy the, the fellowship with these people. You get other people who join it that want to get the esoteric side, people that want to get the exoteric side, people that love the history of Freemasonry, people that like it because the Freemasons have always been uh, self-sufficient and have always stood up for themselves and stood up in the face of oppression and in the face of tyranny. So no matter what you're looking for for Freemasonry, it is able to give that back to you. So I think that Pat makes a, a really good point that whatever you put in is what you get out. Yeah. And is that something that, that lends itself to, because obviously there's degrees. I mean, I'm not sure, cause have, you know, again, some of the misconceptions. I've heard it's uh, 360 degrees of basically knowledge, and we kind of only know of the 33rd degree. But per your, per your statement on the work you put into it, is that what lends itself to your ascension um, in, in the ranks, if you will? There's a little bit of a, a misconception about ascension and, and all the degrees. There's no such thing as 360 degrees. There's no such thing as you, you'll see on the YouTube. You know, there's, I know there's a guy in there saying he's a 96th degree. The highest numerical 
degree. The highest number is 33, which is you have to be part of the Scottish Rite. And to be a 33rd degree is only honorary. You can't ask for it. It won't be given to you. If you do, uh, it's just an honorary title. But truly the highest a mason can go is the third degree. So once you become a third degree, once you become a master mason, that's as high as you can go. And then really you branch off on a, on a horizontal rather than keep going up, up, up. You can go join the York Rite, which goes all the way up to the Knights Templar degree. You can join the Scottish Rite, which goes up to a 32nd degree. As I said, the 33rd is only honorary. But either way, you must be a master mason. You must be at the very least, which is the very most, a third degree. And really, if you're a 32nd degree, it doesn't mean you're any higher than a third degree. All it means is that you've taken a little bit of, let's say, extracurricular study. You're that passionate about it that you wanted to learn a little bit more. Okay. But within those first three degrees of Freemasonry, Jeff, is really all you need to know. There is so much there that there's more than a lifetime of learning. There's 10 lifetimes of learning. Oh, at least, yeah, it's insane. Well, yeah, I mean, just me just doing show prep. Like I said, I have more questions than answers, so I can only imagine once, you know, getting into this information. I, well, again, to the origins, you guys, what what are the, again, this is one of those things that it gets kind of convoluted and it's hard to pin down. The Nobody's or- really sure, actually. It's, it's, it's um, Michael, you can explain it a little more if you want, but. Well, I think uh, Patrick hit it really on the head right there. You know, no, you're right, Pat. Nobody is really sure. You'll get a lot of opinions on how Freemasonry began and where it evolved from, and they are only opinions. There is no uh, surviving manuscripts and no surviving documents that say Freemasonry began here. Now, a lot of people will trace the birth of modern Freemasonry to the formation of the Grand Lodge, the first ever Grand Lodge, which was in 1717 in London in a tavern when four Masonic lodges met and they developed the first ever Grand Lodge of United Grand Lodge of England. But it's it's frivolous to say, well, that's where Freemasonry started because you don't meet as a bunch of dudes in a pub and say, hey, let's begin Freemasonry. Obviously, they were practicing this before and this had been practiced hundreds of years before in things that I believe emanated from the ancient mystery schools, the Egyptian mystery yes, schools, yes. The, the ancient Greeks, the times of Pythagoras, especially, who is still mentioned in Masonic ritual, right through to perhaps the Knights Templar, to perhaps the, the revolts they had in the Middle Ages in England, the peasant revolts yes. that led to the Knights Templar and the, the medieval stonemason guilds. I mean, there is so much mystery surrounding the development of Freemasonry, but in my opinion, I believe we are the modern-day carriers of of a lot of very ancient mystery school teachings that can date all the way back to ancient Egypt and also uh, Pythagoras. Well, and and I'm glad you said that, uh, because that's essentially where kind of my studies over the years have kind of gone back to ancient Egypt and even previous to that. But something you mentioned, you're like, there's no, as far as pinning down when it started, there's no written record, there's no real tangible evidence of where to pin it, how to pin it down. And in my opinion, enter the conspiracy mind, this is part of, this is by design. And, and in my opinion, this goes back to even previous to ancient Egypt because, in, again, in my humble opinion, we're taught that history is somehow linear. We were somehow these ancient cavemen, big game hunters, and now we're so cool and sophisticated technologically now i i think there was a previous ancient civilization prior to egypt even egypt which they teach in the mystery schools um which gets into i think uh, the history of our origin and not to get into the extraterrestrial or any of that i think there was ancient technology we were way smarter i wouldn't say way smarter we were definitely smarter and had access to advanced technology and i feel there was some big cataclysmic event and the survivors of that, and we can enter the conversation of Thoth and, and some of the her- hermetic, her- hermetic, uh, hermeticism, 
those those descendants and those survivors went on to keep that information secret about our origins. And again, this is my conspiratorial mind. And I think that's kind of, in my opinion, or to my understanding, some of what the Masons or other secrets, some secret societies are about. Specifically, the Masons, I think their stuff goes back to that ancient Egypt, Egypt Egyptian um, mythology and history. Sorry to ramble there, but um, really, what are your thoughts well, on that? He's really going down the right road, though, isn't he, Michael? He's going down the right road. And I think if you look back at, at, at some of the rituals of ancient Egypt, you'll see that there's very... There's, there's great similarities between what the Masons do in their rituals today and what the ancient Egyptians were doing. Uh, you know, they used to lead their candidates through a doorway that was designed very similarly to the Masonic apron is designed today. The ancient Greeks, particularly Pythagoras, instituted uh, in his teachings uh, a, a lot of the symbolism and a lot of the cornerstones of philosophy and morality that Masonry teaches today. And of course, Pythagoras was schooled in all the ancient mystery schools. He traveled throughout Europe, throughout ancient Asia, throughout ancient in Egypt and was inducted into all these mystery schools. You could even go further back and as you were saying, Jeffrey, you, you know, there, there are people that believe that a lot of this ancient teaching was existing on, on, um, on Atlantis, uh, where, there was, where there was greater... Um, uh, great intellect was, was possessed thousands of years ago. And I, I do believe that there is a great missing link in the timeline of, of Earth's humanity that we were a lot smarter back then. You know, if you're talking five, six, seven thousand mm -hmm. years ago when people could map, map the constellations by looking at them and map the stars and yes. map outlines of, of coastlines and things like that. Things that today even our smartest scholars yeah. from, 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 from greatest universities could not do, these people were doing. You even look at the construction of the pyramids, you know, some five thousand years ago to build a structure that stood the test of time and built it to such perfection. I mean, if you read a book, say, by uh, Graham Hancock, yes. who's written books extensively about the formation of the pyramids, to build those structures so large to such perfection, latitude, longitude, the center stone be erected over the dead center of the, 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 the base of the structure, and to survive today, it's just amazing. These are things that our architects, our builders, cannot replicate today. So I think there is a very proud tradition in Freemasonry, that some of this stuff, not, a lot, not all of it, but some of this stuff has filtered through to today, and we're the, we're the proud bearers of that. And what it is really, all the mystery schools, and, and you know, the, the tinfoil hat members might be listening and saying, well, mystery schools and secret teachings, and it, it, it was about, uh, you know, it was about a, a, a dark side of humanity. It wasn't, because all the mystery schools taught one thing. There was one common thread in all of them. That common thread was people finding their own connection to the source, their own connection mm -hmm. to their higher power, to God, the spirit, the universe, the their own divine spark. Exactly, which really is self-improvement. That's what it was. That's still what Freemasonry is today. And as I said, there are other avenues you can use to do this. Martial arts, yoga, meditation, Freemasonry is just another avenue to ignite that divine spark and become the best person you can be. Well, and, and, and Pat, jump in there, buddy. No, well, I'm just, you know, when I think about, you know, higher education, uh, martial arts, all the other examples, I I don't think, the, the difference being is that masonry is designed specifically to find, to find deity, to find connection with deity and to better yourself. Martial arts, in a way, is, higher education is many times, now anyway, uh, not to search for, for true knowledge, but more of a search for a piece of paper that says you can be trained to do a job by an employer, right? So I think that, that uh, in my mind anyway, masonry is on a whole nother plane. 
I mean, it's kind of subjective, right? I mean, like I said, I, I do believe people could get more in touch with the source via martial arts. But, I mean, I think what you're talking about or alluding to, there's a deeper understanding to, I think, going back to this mystery school stuff. It it really, I think, takes it to another level as far as getting in touch with that grand architect, that essence, if you will. Um, but going back to something you just mentioned, uh, Michael, um, Graham Hancock, big, huge fan of his, Eric Von Donegan, John Anthony West, so many of these people who've really kind of – uh, upset the whole conventional understanding of basic Egyptology, etc. You know, they, they they say the pyramids were built in whatever 2,500 BC for Khufu or whatever. But you know, from geological um, evidence, even the Sphinx, you know, they're talking about tens of thousands of years earlier. You know what I mean? So it's just, I, I find it very, very fascinating um, because. And, and and you're right, Jeffrey. You know, I'm I'm reading the Sign and the Seal by Graham Hancock at the moment, which okay. he traces the. Uh, the the uh, the path of the the ark of the covenant the lost ark and how it went possibly from uh, uh, you know King Solomon's temple which is what Freemason Freemasonry is based on to possibly uh, residing in Ethiopia where it may even still reside today but you know these authors did open up so many different avenues but as we said earlier nothing can ever be official yeah. because we have no witnesses from thousands of years ago. We have no, no, no written documents that can be official documents that we can go back and look at to signify where any of this started. And as you said, the things like the sphinxes uh, are thought to be much, much older than even uh, carbon dating or you know, scientists, the scientific community had pegged them as at the moment. And the same goes for Freemasonry. There can be no one person, one scholar that says, hey, this is how Freemasonry came to be. This is the, the exact point of its origin because it, it's completely beyond us. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about it is that it's such an ancient method of teaching that is still so applicable in today's society, which is why there's still 6 million Freemasons across the world, which is why I see so many more young people coming back to Freemasonry now and joining lodges because they are looking for something in their life that isn't a religion, but that will teach them how they can become the best person they can be. Very powerful, man, very powerful. And I, and I think, again, man, something... Getting into what you're kind of your, your the title of your book, math uh, using of symbols in Freemasonry to improve your life. Something that I've always felt that that the ancient people knew, and again, I don't want to get into like some tarot too astrological, but they had a sense of energy that we don't. And I think some of these old, like your Pythagoras, some of your ancient, some of your ancient construction. I think a lot of this information was hidden in the construction of some of these sites, like Gobekli Tepe, the Sphinx, some of these temples. A lot of it had to do with celestial procession and mathematics, as you mentioned, and power within that, and also sound. I don't know if you're familiar with the term of cymatics, but being able, utilizing sound to create geometric. I, I think there was just a lot of stuff that was going on as it relates to mathematics and geometry and even today like st louis if you look at the arch it's directly lined up with the civil courts building that has a pyramid on the top with two sphinxes po uh, pointing in the other direction in opposite directions you can get into the layout of washington dc and their right. supposed layout it's it's interesting the mathematics and the not just the not just the layout from a from a architectural standpoint but the energy that can reside within that architecture what are your th guys thoughts on that Ahead, I, I believe uh, you, you, you've hit an interesting nail on the head there, and, and sim symbolism is a, a, at the crux of Freemasonry. We teach our lessons via symbols. So symbols do impart a lot of energy. But as I mentioned in the book also, I believe that a symbol only has as much power as you allow that symbol to have upon you. Therefore, if you see 
uh, if you see, uh, let's say, a working tool or a symbol of the, the third degree of Freemasonry, uh, not in America, but in English Freemasonry, Australian Freemasonry, a lot of European Freemasonry is a pencil. Okay, and you may think to yourself, well, what, what possible teaching are you going to garner from a pencil? You write with that, and that's about it. I can't see how Pythagoras or, or Lao Tzu or Confucius or any of the ancient teachers would have you know, installed a lot of knowledge into something like a pencil. To the everyday person, a pencil is something you write with, but to a Freemason, a pencil means so much more mm. because we allow that symbolism to have power over us. We allow that power to be ingrained on our, on our minds and our memory and our, and our learning, so it means something to us. If you see a beehive, you walk through a garden, you see a beehive in a tree, you think, all right, cool, there's a bunch of bees in there, I've got to be careful, they may sting me. But to a Freemason, a beehive is a symbol, again, of the third degree, and it means something completely different to us. Michael, you know, if you see you? a pyramid, a, seeing Michael. a pyramid on a $1 bill should have no effect on you because it's only a picture on a $1 bill. But when the conspiracy theorists think, well, it stands for the New World Order and Illuminati and Big Brother watching over you, they are now allowing that symbol to have negative connotations on them. If they choose not to allow the symbolism to affect them, it won't affect them. Pat, you were going to jump it in there. I was, I was, I was going to say, and I, I'm sorry you were getting to a point, Mike, which, which I'm glad you got to. So I, I apologize for, for trying to break in, but I was going to, you know, having uh, gone through your book and read, you know, I think it's that you mentioned the beehive. You know, you can maybe explain a little bit about that and why its significance is is so important, and and educate maybe Jeffrey and the listeners a little bit on that, just as one example out of your book. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the, the beehive is an interesting one. It, basically, what we are taught in Freemasonry about the beehive is that uh, it, it represents all, everyone working together, everyone working together, pitching in, helping each other out, and being a happy society for doing that. And when you look even closer at the construction of a beehive and, and the working, uh, the working principles of the bees, the bees are the most altruistic creature. In, in existence. No creature works harder than a bee and no creature works for the benefit and gain of the rest of their community more so than a bee. And then when you look at the structure of the beehive, you can, you can look at its structure and trace it all the way back in similarity to a, 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 a stone called the Omphalos, which existed uh, at the Temple of Apollo in Delphi. And that was said to be the center of the world, the navel of the world. So there's a lot of representation and symbology behind the beehive as well, but it symbolizes that we, we, we all come out of a, a central location, a central navel of the world, and we're trying to reconnect with that navel, reconnect with that source from which we came. But in order to reconnect with that source from where we came, we've got to connect with each other just as the bees do, because bees are, are amazing creatures. You know, Einstein once said that if all the bees in the, in, on the planet died out, uh, so too with, with mankind. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing there, but he, he said something along those lines. And now so, that, and now that you are. mentioned that, Michael, seven, seven different species of bees are on the endangered list yeah. because of spraying pesticides. Right, which, 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 is, which is scary, you know? And, and you, as I said again, you can look at something like a beehive, walk past one in your garden, and you think, well, I've got to get rid of that, you know, these bees could scare me. But Freemasons dig into these symbols, and we meditate on these symbols, we study these symbols, and we think, what do these symbols mean for us? How can they affect our life? How, how can we learn moral lessons from them? And really, you know, bees being amazing creatures in their work ethic and their organization and committed to the task of a healthy hive and depending on one another for survival, recognizing that though they're individuals, 
tools. They're also connected as one with the hive, just as we as humans are connected as one with the universe, you know, with our source, with our connection to a higher plane of existence. And the way that bees perform in harmony and they live in harmony with each other, harmony is one of the great supports of Freemasonry. And given that a Masonic Lodge is a representation of the individual, for someone to achieve a utopian state, they have to achieve a harmonious fusing of the three aspects of their makeup, body, mind, and soul. And there's no more harmonious state in existence than inside a beehive. Bees live in the greatest of harmony. So I'm just sort of giving you an example here of how deep you can go into yeah. symbolism if you, if you choose to. And I could, I could talk for hours on, on the beehive. Yeah, it sounds like it. No, that's that's so very fascinating, and that that's powerful. That what you said about um, we're in charge of how we define these things and the energy and the power that we give it. Like that's that sounds kind of you know flippant and kind of, it, but that's real. That's we are very much so in charge of the juice that we give these things in our life. And now you think about it's this, so, Jeffrey. It's so true. And a lot of these conspiracy theorists and tinfoil hat wearers, as we call them out there, hey, watch you, out now. you know, the conspiracy farm now. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people allow these things to affect them, whereas they should allow them to affect them. If you walk past a Masonic building, you see a square and compass. That that symbol has no power over you. It's not going to zap you. It's not going to produce a thunderbolt or a lightning strike that's going to strike you dead where you stand. Satan's not going to come out and greet you. You know. On a corner, if you're going past the Masonic building, it's not going to have any effect on you. New World Order's not watching you. Illuminati's not watching you because you see a square and compass on a building. Just walk past it. But if you choose to look at it that way and you choose to look at it like that's an evil symbol, then that's something you're, that's a choice you're making. That's freedom of choice. That's freedom of will that you have. You are making that choice. Freemasonry isn't making that choice for you. No, you're right. No one else is making that choice for you. You are making that choice just as we make the choice as Freemasons, Pat and I, to embrace these symbols as some of the most beautiful symbols in the world that can teach people about morality and how to live their lives better. We choose that. But people tend to choose, you know, pentagrams and stars and pyramids and triple sixes and the number 13. Yes. Yeah, these things are only given power, as I said, if you allow them to give you power. Well, and, that, and that's so interesting you say that, man. And I just talked to my mom and we we're having a political discussion about Trump and, and Hillary. It's like people's, when I say ignorance, it's not a, not a slam. It's people's lack of information becomes dangerous. We live in a society where they're trampling people for iPhones. So the, the, their their willingness to go to really kind of learn, you know, what I what I hear the other day in my show prep, they didn't notice. It took like two thousand years to notice of, of stellar uh, stellar procession watching that the Earth had a wobble. So I mean, that's that's the patience that that took, and we don't we just don't have that today. And unfortunately, um, we like you said, we just we filter these images through a serious lack of information. Um, right. And, it's, it's, and Jeffrey, you know what the other, the, other, the other thing is, and I, I believe it's a, it's a problem, and, and I do discuss it in the book in a chapter about the, uh, the checkered pavement of Freemasonry, because in all Freemason uh, lodges, you'll see a checkered black and white uh, tiled pavement on the floor. But I talk about the, 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 the problem of polarization. I feel that Facebook, Twitter, a lot of social media and people watching this stuff, and, and, and people are very easily influenced because people are very easily polarized. And polarization to the extreme left or the extreme right can, can be very dangerous because once you get so caught up in your views and what you believe is, is, is correct and you're not willing to listen to anyone else or not willing to, to accept that we live in a, a world of, of duality, yes. that for every left there is a right, for every up there is a down, for every in there is an out, for every black there is a white, you become so polarized one way that that, that, that affects you, that affects they you greatly. They, again, it affects they don't, you I've said this before, they don't look for, exactly. 
They don't look for information. They look for affirmation of just their their position. They don't want to sit back, open up, and hear maybe something new. Um, they just look, or like I said, looking for something to affirm what they already believe and kind of just filter out anything else that doesn't. Right, and, and, and you go back to the bee. You go back to the beehive, and you, and you know, Michael's talking about. You know, they're all working together. They all have a purpose. And you look at the world today, and there's so many people. What is their purpose? Do they have a purpose? You know, if you go to a lodge. Everyone in that lodge has a true purpose. They have a job to do, uh, you know. So, so it it operates a lot like a beehive, right? But in in the world today, where you talk about people trampling each other for iPhones and and like, there there's a lot wrong with the world yeah. today. And if the if the if the world and Michael and I've talked about this before, if the world was run like a Masonic lodge, there wouldn't be any wars. That's true, you know. Right. And Freemasons really were the modern developers of democracy. I know the ancient Greeks that said, you know, invented democracy. But really, if you look at the, the history of Freemasonry over the last, uh, you know, 300 years or so, the, the, the Freemasons Lodge was really the, uh, the, the invention of modern democracy. And so many parliaments these days, uh, so many governments base themselves on what is essentially the way that a Masonic Lodge operates. And it really is true democracy. It is true freedom. It's true freedom of expression as well. I mean, before modern in Freemasonry, you couldn't you couldn't be a part of a society. You couldn't be a part of an organization that allowed people of different religious beliefs together. That was right, insane. Indeed. That was unheard of. You were you you were locked up. You were you were you were burnt. You were you were hung. You were tortured for for such beliefs. But Freemasons have always allowed men of any you know of any religious belief, of any political belief, of any color of their skin to come together in peace and harmony to to talk and discuss and improve themselves together. Whereas hundreds of years ago, that was unheard of. And these days, that's the thing. Everyone says, well, we should all be what we want to be. You know, we should all respect each other's religions, respect each other's race, don't be racist, don't be bigots, you know, etc. Well, Freemasonry has been doing that for years. And yeah, without, yeah. Masonic, without, without the Masonic mindset of our founders, we wouldn't have ever created a constitutional republic, which is even a step further than a democracy, which uh, that's, it's unraveled quite a bit over the years. But, but that pure thinking of, of true independence for the citizen, of each individual, pursuing their own dreams is really, truly Masonic. And you, you're right, Pat, because also don't forget George, George Washington, okay? George Washington, with what he did and becoming the first U.S. president, George Washington could have turned around and declared himself the first king of America, okay? He could have declared himself the first emperor of yeah. America. But what did he do? He declared he was the first president of America. He said, I'm, I, I, he, he's, his thinking was along the lines of, I'm not a king. I'm not going to stay in this position until I die. I'm not an emperor who's all powerful. I'm going to stay in a position of dictatorship until I die. I'm going to be voted and elected president. And then after me, someone else will serve office and someone else will serve office and someone else will serve office. He didn't make this into a, a dictatorship. A, you know, he didn't make this into a, a monarchy, into an empire. He made it into what it is today and George Washington was of course a Freemason and that's how Masonic Lodges still operate every year a, a master is elected to the position of basically president of that lodge and every year a new president is elected it's a totally democratic process by which it operates and, and you know, you've got to thank George Washington and look towards the Masonic thinking for getting that happening for America yeah and what's really interesting about it is you know some people would say well uh, they would discredit everything about George Washington because he owned slaves. But on the other hand, because of Freemasonry, the slaves were freed because of that thinking that every man is truly created equal. And a lot of that does come from the Masons. 
Very interesting history, ladies and gentlemen. Very interesting history. So we're going to rewind a bit because you guys done fast forwarded on me. I was my mind. I'm, I'm with you here, but we need to go back still to some ancient stuff a little bit, just because I, the the role of um, of like sacred geometry and mathematics. I don't mean to harp on it, but it's just um, um, in my well, opinion, the G, the G, Michael, the G, Michael stands the G, for yeah. stands for God and geometry. The grand exactly. Yeah, geometry, geometry, and Freemasonry uh, uh, considered to be pretty much one and the same. One can only fix without the other. A study of geometry and a study of Freemasonry is a study of geometry, sacred geometry. Uh, you know, a lot of people like to use that reference. But even in the signs of Freemasonry, the signs we do, the signs of recognition, they all contain geometric lessons, geometric principles embedded in them. Right. Uh, we had a, a master do a lecture at my lodge yesterday about uh, geometry and masonry and demonstrate some of these signs. And he's a, a civil engineer um, and a, uh, what was it, a structural engineer, a civil engineer as well. Anyway, his whole life had been to do with, with, with building and, and, and geometry. And he said when he became a Freemason, he was astounded by how much Freemasonry taught him about geometry that as an engineer he had never been taught. And he goes, I, I couldn't believe it. He goes, things that I never learned in university, this stuff is in Masonic ritual, and this ritual dates to, to, to the you know, 17th century, 18th century. He goes, I, I couldn't believe they were thinking about these properties of geometry back then a couple of hundred years ago, stuff that I wasn't even being taught as an engineer in university today. So it really is amazing that as we said, this this teaching which has come from thousands of years ago, this advanced teaching is still being carried into Freemasonry and was so far ahead of its time as oh, yeah. far as the uh, creators of modern ritual go. No, absolutely. It's, again, it's it's rooted, and this is way beyond my freaking pay grade, but it's it's rooted in the fabric of the universe via your your golden ratio or your Fibonacci sequence. I mean, this is this is all mathematics that's just like I said, just rooted into the fabric of everything that these ancient people had such a deep, deep understanding of to the point where. I don't know. Like I said, I think they were using technology and powers that just we we're not able to do today. And I think that's partially by design. But I, I, we're I, not. You call that you know fractal geometry as well. And they said it's God's you know God's thumbprint. And uh, you know you you mentioned the Fibonacci sequence, and I've got a whole chapter in the book uh, that relates to the Fibonacci sequence because one of the symbols of Freemasonry is a winding staircase. And the winding staircase comes back to the Fibonacci sequence. And there's so many, again, moral lessons to be taught via a winding staircase, which relates to the Fibonacci sequence. And uh, the Fibonacci sequence is, is something we see also in nature. You look at a pine cone, you look at a hurricane, you look at a pineapple, uh, you look at various flowering plants. You look at a galaxy. You can you see a galaxy, you see evidence of the Fibonacci sequence. And, you know, it's interesting to note there's a, that old hermetic maxim that also applies in Freemasonry as above, so below. Yes. So if you look at, let's say, the, uh, the, the formation of a, of a galaxy in outer space, okay, and how it follows sacred geometry, how it follows Fibonacci sequence, and then you look at a hurricane down here on Earth, is it, it's, it's a mirror image. Yeah. They're exactly the same, as above, so below. Yeah. And that also relates esoterically to yourself that whatever you whatever you, you, you whatever you put into your body and feed your body here is going to have consequence to you existing on a high on a higher plane as above so below you know it's it just it, it, it's just amazing how deep you can dig into this yeah, stuff and especially as pat said the g in geometry in in, in freemasonry stands for geometry it really does and it's, it's incredible 
you know, and you talked about pine cones, Michael. That the, one of the since we're we rewound into ancient into the ancient aspects and the the ancient teachings, the the all seeing eye represented by the pine cone. You know, that people don't understand that they see the eye on top of the pyramid, all of that. Um, had a great conversation with Michael on that one time that went for I don't know how long we talked, mm-hmm. but it's 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 very interesting how people don't understand what that pine cone actually represents. And that's interesting, the, the, the pine cone gets its name, you know, pine, P-I-N-E, coming from pineal gland, P-I-N-E-A-L. The pineal gland is said to be your, your, your third eye, yeah. and your pineal gland sits inside your brain. It's, you know, it's a point um, between your two eyes, behind the forehead. Uh, the, the Hindus represented by the dot they paint on their forehead that they call a, a bindi, and it's, it's located near the center of the brain, between the left and the right hemispheres mm-hmm. or the cerebral hemispheres. It's about the size of a pea. It's actually shaped also like a pine cone, so hence you've got that name, and the reason the pine cone was often used as a symbol of higher intelligence, and it was recognized by various ancient cultures. You can see evidence of the pine cone in the pineal gland in the Indonesians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Christians, and you know, even today, the pine cone still finds prevalence in religion. The Pope's staff features a carving of a pine cone. And if you've ever visited the Vatican, wow. you go to the courtyard of the pine. And in the courtyard of the pine in the Vatican, there's a 13-foot-tall sculpture, a bronze sculpture of a pine cone flanked by two peacocks. So even the Vatican knows wow. about the ancient right. teaching of the pine cone. And what does it represent? As Pat said, the pineal gland. Now, you know, where did the pineal gland come from? The pineal gland, the pineal is referenced in the Bible. There's a, Pat, you'll appreciate this one being a, 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 a mixed martial artist. There's a story in the, the Old Testament about where Jacob wrestled yeah, know, God throughout this, the entire night. Well. Yeah, so well. Jacob wrestles God throughout the entire night. And then in the morning, God pops out Jacob's thigh bone, okay? But Jacob still won't let go of wrestling until God chooses to give him a blessing. So God blesses him, and he names the place where they fought Pineal, okay, which means to see the face of God. Pineal then becomes pineal for pineal gland. And apparently the pineal gland, which is your third eye, if you can awaken it, which is part of awakening your divine spark, mm-hmm. allows you to see the face of God. So you can, you, can, you can see how this is such an important thing to know the pineal gland, to know how to ignite your divine spark for all these ancient people because they believed in that. It's just amazing. They, they were in touch with things that we, we just are not. Well, and, and it most, worked. Most you of know, society just has no clue of. Exactly. I mean, and it worked too. I mean, like they didn't you know, invest thousands, tens of thousands of years in this. In just some like pie in the sky, like the, the things were working. Like I said, they right. they, they had the access access to the technology which was kicked. But Jeffrey, out. let me let me tell you as well that these these symbols are never in, they're in your face, but never explained to you. It's something you've got to search for yeah. to become a better person. You've got to do it yourself. You've got to take the initiative yourself to try and ignite your divine spark. You know, when I say that the Pope's got a pine cone on his staff, and, and I've seen the 13-foot bronze sculpture of a pine cone in the courtyard of the Vatican, that's because the church knows, just yeah. as Freemasons know, just as many other 
organizations that, that, that build the inner self know that they're not going to come out and just tell you it basically. You've got to search for it. Right. And within Christianity, there's a lot of avenues you, you, you can pursue that, will, that we're, all, we're all heading towards the same path. We're all heading towards the path of becoming a better person, the best people we can be here on earth so we prepare ourselves you know, for that spiritual life after we're done here on earth, after the spirit lives the, the, the vessel that is the body. It's all there. It is all in plain sight. You've no, just no, got to be right. willing you're to right. look at it and then study yeah. it. You know, it's right there. Yeah. You can't get any bigger than a 13-foot statue yeah. in the Vatican. <laughs> Well, but you like again, you gotta stop trampling people for iPhones. Calm your mind and realize that it's bigger than that bullshit. And you know, it's like I don't even know. We're people, just people. People don't comprehend it. They don't understand it. They've never been taught it, so they don't know anything. And I think it's all by design, like you said. Um, do they want a truly educated and in touch um, society? Probably not. They're not very very easily manageable and corralled that way, right? No. And to get in, you know, you, to, to get into touch with yourself, you've got to learn to access things like that third eye. You know, as I said, the Hindi tradition, they've got that small duck called a bindi. It's on their forehead between the eyes. And, and people that do yoga are going to, are going to appreciate this as well. It, 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 it marks the third eye, but it also alludes to the location of the sixth chakra. You know, you've got yes. the chakras running I was through your just body. Ask you about the sixth that. chakra. Right, the sixth chakra is known as the Anjara. Now, the sixth chakra, Jeffrey, deals with telepathy, imagination, visualization, intuition, all which contribute to clearer vision of your, your spiritual nature over your material. So it's said that the, the sixth chakra is where a person's ego, their habits, their false ideas of racialism, their misidentifications are dissolved. And that corresponds to the purpose of Freemasonry, which is to subdue the passions. So it's through that subduing of passions and learning, as we say in Freemasonry, to circumscribe our desires and keep our passions in due bounds, that we're able to elevate our consciousness and rise above our purely material selves, the selves that will line up outside an Apple store overnight to get that latest iPhone. You know, we've got to rise above that if we're going to elevate ourselves above being just material beings. To transcend. Exactly. Well, one of one of something we spoke on, and this is again, we're we're not doing too bad here. We're only thirty minutes in. That something a misnomer, big misnomer that I really had to educate myself on, just kind of coming from a Baptist Christian background, and uh, it, it, again, in my opinion, I think Christianity, modern Christianity, and this is not to knock anybody's religion, gang out there. I believe it's just a modern version of some ancient stuff. When you go back to Horus and Osiris and Isis, you start talking about the similar biology to a Jesus or or a Mithra or an Attis. There's been several deities, if you will, with a similar biology. Um, it, it, I guess searching for that really helped. But Lucifer, a misnomer about Lucifer. We've heard biblically about the character, the individual Lucifer, as I believe a fallen angel. Help me, help everyone, our audience resolve the difference uh, and correct the kind of miscorrection of what Lucifer symbolizes. Lucifer, when it was written into the Bible originally, now Lucifer, you got to you got to appreciate, is a, um, a, a you know a word that comes from Latin. So the the original writing of the Bible was the Gospels, the the, the Old Testament was was not in Latin at all. It was in Aramaic, it was in Hebrew, but definitely wasn't in Latin. So that that is proof there and then that the word the term Lucifer is a more modern invention than when the actual these texts were, were actually written. What Lucifer is is not a fallen angel. Lucifer translates as light, as the light bearer. And what the light bearer is, a, a light bearer is something that 
is the first light. So you're bearing the first light, okay? Let's, let's visualize it as a torch. You switch on a torch and that torch breaks the darkness. Well, okay, what's the darkness that the ancients knew? Darkness the ancients knew was nighttime, okay? Nighttime was the first evil that mankind knew because when it was night, they couldn't see. There was dangers from animals because they couldn't see, you know, predators that were hunting after them in the night. They couldn't see each other, etc. But only when the sun came up was the darkness broken. But before the sun comes up, there's another light. It's the planet Venus, okay? The planet Venus rises. It is the first one to break the darkness. And therefore, the planet Venus is the Lucifer. The planet Venus is the light bearer. And, you know, people often point to Albert Pike, who wrote Morals and Dogma, which is a, a, a long-standing a book about Freemasonry. And let me say, people say that Morals and Dogma is the Bible of Freemasonry. No, it's not. Scottish Morals right, and Dogma is just one book. No, it's one book written by one man, and you can choose to agree with him or not. It says at the start of the book, it says, I'm paraphrasing again, but the Scottish writer Freemasonry basically said to people before they read the book, hey, you know what? This is Albert Pike's opinion. Take over what you will. Now, I believe that Albert Pike, when he wrote about the seething energies of Lucifer, could have used a better word than use Lucifer. He really could have. Would have saved us Freemasons <laughs> much, much headaches over the years of having to answer all these anti-Masonic questions and people saying, well, we worship Lucifer. No, we don't. What Luciferian path or the energies of Lucifer refer to is the morning star, is the planet Venus, is the light bearer. It's the search for light. It's the very antithesis of dark, satanic right. evil. It's not evil. What he's saying is there's a light that breaks the evil, that it breaks the darkness, and you need to do that in your life. What he's saying is by embracing the seething energies of Lucifer, he's telling us you've got to break your darkness. Now, if your darkness is ignorance, if your darkness is... Is, is sitting on your couch all day eating junk food and drinking gallons of Coca-Cola and giving yourself a disease, if your darkness is smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and killing yourself, if your darkness is spending your money in all these material pursuits and not enhancing your education or your spiritual side of your life, you've got to break that darkness. You've got to ignite the torch. You've got to get the seething energies of Lucifer, which, again, is that first star that breaks the darkness of the night, which is what the ancients knew as the first ever evil. It's got nothing to do with Lucifer being a fallen angel or the devil. That was something that was yeah. put in the, in the Bible much later on. It was never originally planned to be that. So that's, that's been completely misconstrued. And, you know, the original in the Hebrew says, how you have fallen from heaven, bright morning star. There was no reference to a fallen angel. It was the morning star mm. falling from heaven. Why? Because it broke the evil. It broke the darkness of the night. So Lucifer, in the sense that Albert Pike writes about it, which is where your question stems from, Jeffrey, is not a bad thing. It's, in fact, a very, very good thing because Lucifer, the first light, breaks the darkness. So they're going to take that sound bite right there. Like, Lucifer is a good thing. Michael Chavello's a Satan worshiper. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so, I mean, man, that's, and man, that's so huge. Going back to even the symbols, how we choose, we make the choice to define these things in our mind. Like, we let so many people and so many things do our thinking for us. And it's so, not to use a, not to get into the Illuminati, but it's such an illuminating thing. The Illuminati means like, you know, the light bear, you know, the, the light, education, knowledge. It's not necessarily a bad pejorative thing. It's and Jeff, let me also tell you too that you probably got this in one of your questions, but I think it's good to address it now. But a lot of the, the anti-Masonic stuff, we hear people say we worship Satan and you worship Lucifer and all this. Let me just say, 
I'm a 32nd degree mason, and I'm also a, a bronner all through the, the York Rite up to Knights of Templar, and I'm a, a, a master of a lodge uh, here in Las Vegas. So I've pretty much done all you can do in Freemasonry. I've learned it all. I've studied it all. There is no mention of Satan, okay? There is, there is no mention of it at all. It, 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 it's, a, it, it's a requisite for a Freemason that you believe in a higher being, Okay, and we don't we don't qualify Satan as a higher being. If a Satanist wants to join a Masonic lodge, he'll get kicked out. He won't even get through the door because we don't acknowledge Satan as a higher being. You can you can you can worship Jehovah, God, um, you know, uh, Allah, whatever it might be, but you can't worship Satan. Satanists yeah, aren't I mean, allowed to become Freemasons. Yeah, there's Christian okay? pastors in my lodge. Yeah, right. Exactly. We, we've got a lot of Jewish brethren. We've got a lot of Christians. We have some some Muslims as well. They're all they're all welcome. But a lot of this anti-Masonic and Satan stuff stems from a guy called Leo Taxel. Okay. Now Leo Taxel was a Frenchman who was a, a very staunch Catholic to begin with, but then for some reason uh, Leo started to write all these bad things about the Catholics. Um, his original name was actually Gabriel Jogan Pages. He was born in the south of France. I think it was like the mid-1850s. He was schooled by the Jesuits and had a really good academic record. And he was you know, very heavily into Catholicism. And then he started writing all this bad stuff about the Catholics for some reason. Anyway, he later joined the Masonic Lodge. Now, he joined the Lodge, didn't get all the way through, because when they found out that he'd written all this bad stuff about Catholicism, they didn't want him in the Lodge anymore. So he got booted out. So what does Leo Taxil do? Okay, he decides now to write all this crap about the Freemasons. He's going to make up that the Freemasons worship Satan. He's going to make up that the Freemasons worship some uh, devil called Baphomet. There's no mention of Baphomet in any right. Freemasonic uh, ritual anywhere. He's going to mention that we, we drink blood and all this stuff, only because he was pissed off that the Masons kicked him out, just like the Catholics kicked him out earlier on. Now, mind you, he prints up all these documents, all these fantastical stories that people take as being true, and they eat them up because, wow, this guy's exposing the Freemasons. Look, they're Satanists. Look, they drink blood. Look, they worship the, 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 the goat devil and all this stuff. It was all a lot of crap. It all came from his imagination because he was pissed off he couldn't join the Freemasons. And then later on, what do you do? Leo Taxel comes out and says, hey, everybody, it was all a joke. It was all a hoax. He came out publicly and said it. Now, the anti-Masons don't bring this point up, but he came out and said it. It was all a joke, and I'm not sorry for it. I don't care. He laughed at it. He goes, I, I fooled you all. It was all just the work of fiction. But that's what people don't read. People just think, well, this guy wrote about it, so you're all Satanists. Well, you know what? It's like believing everything on Facebook you read. It's not true. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, Taxon would have been the greatest Facebook troll of all time oh, right. if he was alive today. Well, let me, like let the me... saying goes, it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. Hey, well, ain't yep. that the truth, man? That's so the truth. You see that every day. No, no. So let, let me ask you then, because I'm of the mind, and you know, I'm not a Freemason. I don't really know this stuff very well, but I think it's all the force. You want to call it life force, and you can take these energies, you can take these symbols, and you can use them for the benevolence. Or you can, I guess, and I wanted to ask you, because like individuals like like an Aleister Crowley, who I'm sure you probably have heard of, has used these symbols, used these images to try to create something darker, satanic, or is is he using that that those powers for the malevolence and there and that's applicable? Like you could take these energies and Jeffrey, you you could take any symbol, no matter how good the symbol is, and you can use it negatively. Let me give you an example. Uh... Okay, you know what? Example, Jesus Christ, okay? 
symbolically for what Jesus represents, absolutely beautiful. The morals that he taught, okay, the spirituality he taught, the morals he taught, he taught people how to live a good life. He preached the golden rule, which existed long before Jesus, but it was one of his main teachings. Do unto others as you would have them yes. do unto you. Just beautiful. If you live your life through that, you can't err. Exactly. You can't have a bad society Big if everyone lives by the golden rule. Yep. But you can take Jesus and the symbol of Jesus if you're a fanatical and use him to start a war. Use him to torture people and put people on the rack and burn them at the stake. True. As we've seen That's throughout history. In the name of Jesus, yeah. thousands and thousands have died and have perished. You're taking one of the most beautiful symbols, or if you choose to, you know, you believe that Jesus is a real person, you're taking one of the most beautiful people in history and using that person for something very bad that he would not have approved of. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's that yeah. duality we spoke about earlier, Jeffrey. For every white, there's a black. For every yes. up, there's a down. Okay, and people like Alistair Crowley and there's other people. Sure, they'll take Masonic symbols and turn them into something bad. But I'm just I'm pointing out that it doesn't matter what the symbol is. Anything in the world can be bad. You know, you think to yourself, what's what's something really good in the world? Something really good. Um, okay, water. Water's great. We all need water to survive. We're all going to drink water. Okay, but there's a duality to water. If you drink too much water, you can drown yourself. Yeah. If you go in the ocean and you go under the water for too long, you can drown. Yeah. So again, something that's good can also be bad. Sunlight. Sunlight's good. We all need sunlight to live. Plants need sunlight. Humans need sunlight. Animals need sunlight. Let's look at a daffodil. A daffodil follows the sunlight. It points to the sun during the day. It follows it across the sky. But the daffodil, should it get too much sunlight, is going to die. Just as a person, if they get too much sunlight, if we don't put on sunscreen, we don't wear a hat, we don't wear a T-shirt, we'll start to develop skin cancer. So as much as the sun is a good thing, it also is a bad thing. Right? There's that duality. You yeah. can use any symbol as good or as bad. As you said, it's only as much as you empower it. Right. Whoa. Just trying to put my brain back into my head here. Hold on. Wow. Pat, anything you want to add to this, brother? That, you know, my whole intention for this was to let Michael talk. I, I love listening to him. So. <laughs> Dude, I, I can do I, this. <laughs> we we discuss this stuff on the road every week, Pat and I. We have these uh, detailed conversations every week on the road, so he's he's heard it all. <laughs> yeah, you guys you guys might need to ask Mark Cuban if you guys need an assistant because I, that'd be great to tag <laughs> along. Well, it's something else I've been asked to ask you, my friend. Um, I don't know, and I've heard this about Under the Paw of the Sphinx. I've heard this in different areas, like a hall of records, a hidden records about things, man's origin, whatever it is. Do you, is there any validity to that? What are your thoughts on any of that? I do believe there is a, a validity to it. Uh, I do speak about it extensively, uh, again, in my book, and uh, it comes under the, the chapter about the pencil. We mentioned the pencil earlier on. Now, the Masonic pencil represents every thought and every action you perform in your life being written into an eternal book, okay, a book of records. And obviously, this is not a physical book where you can go and pick up, you know, turn the pages of a physical book. This is a, a, a book on a, on a different plane, on an astral plane. Now, it's said that there is a, a, a hall of records the, on, the, on, the, on the astral plane, on the, the Akashic plane, and ah. that this hall of records is something that can actually be accessed 
by anyone. There was a famous, uh, a, a, a famous uh, prophet called the Sleeping Prophet um, back in the earlier in the 1900s. I think it might have been around 1940 or 1950. Named Edgar Casey here yes. in America. Yep, yep. Now Edgar Casey was known as a Sleeping Prophet. Edgar Casey could go into trances, and in these trance-like states, he said that he could access the Akashic records that were believed to exist on the, the astral plane. So therefore, they're on, on a non-physical plane. And these Akashic records are a compendium of all the universe's knowledge. So the name actually derives from the Sanskrit word Akasha, which translates as space or sky. So these are the records of all existence from the beginning of time logged for eternity. Now, Casey used to uh, consult people who were sick, who had illnesses. And I think he consulted something like 15,000 plus people journeyed to these Akashic records some 14, 15,000 times during his life. Mind you, he wasn't a doctor. He had no more than a high school education. But if you went to him and you had a disease, you had a sickness, and you said to him, this is the the symptoms, he would go into a trance, and in that trance he he could access these Akashic records and then access the information he needed and come out of the trance and treat the person. And he was able to treat someone and that would be cured. You know, there's very famous stories about a young woman that had a, a chronic case of, a case of grip, and after visiting with Edgar Casey several times, she was cured. And what was, he was said to be able to do was go to these Akashic records, and he was also able to tap into the mind of any person on the planet and retrieve the information he needed. So therefore, in this trance state, he'd go, his mind would basically visit the minds of anyone else he needed, say he needed to visit the mind of a, a permanent doctor or a, you know, a, a scholar or something, and pluck the, the information he needed. And that all comes back to there being a great consciousness, you know, a, 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 something higher than ourselves, something we are all a part of. Mm. Because when we think of thought, Jeffrey, we can't, undo that thought. Once we've sunk a thought and once we've performed an action, you can never go back. Now, if, as Einstein said, energy can't be destroyed, it can only be transferred, you can never destroy energy, well, your actions are energy. Your thoughts are energy. So once you think a thought, that energy can't be destroyed. It has to go somewhere. Hmm. That place that it goes is onto that astral plane. It goes maybe into the ionosphere. Some people say the ionosphere. It goes onto that hall of records. And therefore, if it's energy and it can't be destroyed it must be able to be accessed so <laughs> it's like the cloud <laughs> there you go it's like the cloud now this stuff again has been in masonic teaching for hundreds of years at least the proof of that as i mentioned is in the symbolism of the pencil in the third degree okay now the, there being a book of records people might go well it's a, it's a, it's a, a lot of hogwash well go to the bible there's many, many Bible verses that all mention some sort of book in which all our actions and knowledge are recorded. Exodus, you know, uh, Lord says to Moses, something along the lines of, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Okay, in the Psalms, Psalms say uh, something along the lines of, uh, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect and in thy book, all my members were written. Uh, Luke talks about it in his gospel. Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. In Revelations, there's several mentions of a book in which the Father you know, can either block you out of or can enter you into. Um, th- there's, there's so much proof throughout history of some sort of hall of records and Akashic record. And again, you know, it just amazes me that Freemasonry was talking about this stuff that New Ages are talking about now, right. and it's all the, the craze, all the trend. We've been talking about it for hundreds of years.
Well, and that 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 goes to the the lack of a better term, and the agenda to hide it. There's, I mean, these lack of, lack of a better term, secret societies have provided this conduit of. Um, let me jump in there for a moment, Jeffrey, because Freemasonry is not a secret society. So just let me point that, be really specific okay, about another that. Another misnomer, another misnomer about you know, another term. Another huge misnomer. If we were a secret society, we wouldn't have our square encompasses for all to see on top of our buildings. That's true. If we were a secret society, we wouldn't have Shriners hospitals that give free, completely free health care for any child, whether their parents are Freemasons or not, okay? We wouldn't have Shriners Parade. We wouldn't have scholarship programs that Freemasons have in every state where they send kids to, to higher learning and scholarship programs. You wouldn't be able to jump online and buy Masonic books like mine. You wouldn't be able to buy bumper stickers and pens and, and rings and lapel pins. If you were a secret society, you wouldn't know about us, okay? Well, even, we're not even, a secret society. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. The Freemasonry is there for anyone to look into and join and become a part of. The thing is, we're not just going to go online and, and publish, say, listen, this is how you do this, this is how you do that, and this is everything. If you want to be a Freemason, you've got to knock at the door. As we say, your own free will and accord. It's got to come from you. It's not going to come from us. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses. We don't go knocking on doors and <laughs> petitioning you to join a lodge. Okay, yeah. You've got to come to us. And once you come to us, we'll say, hey, all right, come on in. We'll show you about Take a look around. See Freemasonry for you. Here's what we can do for you. Here's what we can teach you. But it's definitely not a secret society. Is it a society with secrets? Yes. Yeah, is it go. a society with go. secrecy? Yes. yes. But something is only a secret, Jeffrey, until it's known. It's only a secret. Freemason secrets, Jeffrey, are only a secret to you until you find them out. And if you want to become a Freemason one day and find out those secrets, they're no longer a secret. Interesting. Jeffrey the Freemason. I couldn't even... I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see that picture, man. Jeffrey with Pat and Michael. Boy, that'd be interesting. Good stuff. It's all about growth and development, quite frankly. And if that is that next step or a next step to... I mean, because I'm literally all about, you know, getting in touch with that essence, man. Like, and not trying to go material and really you know, understanding my role or not my... Yeah, my role in this whole universe and my relationship to the creator if you will and you know what jeffrey you actually um you really just hit it on the head right there you really just hit it on the head know yourself that's why i you know, that's why i named the book know thyself yeah, because joining something like freemasonry or joining any other pursuit of self-improvement all comes down to knowing yourself that's important. That's a, that's a, that's a call to action that's yeah. really the secret to life and when people ask the question why are we here it's to know yourself, know thyself, know what you're all about, know how you can reconnect back to your source and know how you can become the best you can be here on earth while your spirit inhabits this fleshy vehicle and then know how after that, okay, after that you can still be better. Your spirit can attain the highest levels. There's, there's a saying in the third degree of Freemasonry that Freemasonry teaches you how to die. And a lot of people think, oh, God, that sounds morbid. You're teaching us how to die? What, you're going to teach us how to kill ourselves? No. We're teaching you how to live a good, full life with no regrets, a life of education and happiness and joy and peace and harmony and love so that then when you die, you've got nothing to look back on and say, oh, I should have done that better. I wasn't a good person. Oh, but, you know, I, I might not get accepted on that higher la level of existence. Maybe heaven won't open the pearly gates for me. We're teaching you how to live a good life 
so that you, when you do die, you know that you're going to ascend, you're going to transcend, you're going to go to that higher level and not look back with any regrets in life. That's deep, man. Very deep. Wow. Pat, do you want to add anything? As a part of my real world, i got to go get my youngest daughter here before too long, but let's close up. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's put a pin on this, Pat. I think, it, you know, I think it just comes to a constant search, nonstop learning, Yes. always being curious, always questioning things that you're being taught, and finding out for yourself. And, that's, and really finding out who you are, ultimately, is what it comes down to. Who and is taking Pat responsibility is. for it. You know what I mean? Stop. Absolutely. You know, geez, Black Friday should not exist. There should not be people lining up, and that should not well, happen. Well, look at it this way. It doesn't exist for us three. Well, no, but it does for That's other true. people, and especially the families of people get trampled and are affected by this madness. It's, but a, even, even, even more than that, like like Michael was saying, you know, war is being started over BS. It's just like it's people's lack of self-actualization is damaging to uh, humanity, the earth, or, you know, it's, it's exactly. Bad. And Jeffrey, people need to remember that you do have a choice in yes. all these things. If you go to a Black Friday sale and you get trampled on, it's a horrible thing to happen to you, but you also had a choice whether to go or not. You know how bad of a day Black Friday sales are and that it can be the lowest cretins of the lowest that attend these events and will stomp over other people. You've got a choice not to go there. Go the next day. Yes. Go a couple of days after. True. Go a week before. Order online. Then you never get trampled by anyone. Everyone has a choice. And Freemasonry has always been a big proponent of giving people choices. That's why when you enter a Masonic Lodge, you walk between two pillars, one on the left, one on the right, because they, you know, it, it, it symbolizes many, many different things I could go very deep on. But one of the basic things it also symbolizes is choice. That we all have a choice, and let's not be polarized, as I said earlier, by one extreme or the other. Try and walk a balance through the middle of those two pillars, okay? And realize that whatever happens in your life, you do have free will, okay? You've got a choice to let yes. things affect you or not affect you, okay? If you're if you're sick and you're, you're suffering, uh, 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 you know, uh, clogged arteries, well, you had a choice to smoke. Or you had a choice to eat sweet food or not eat sweet food, yeah. a choice to eat fatty foods, fried foods, or not eat fatty or fried foods. You've got a choice to do everything in life. So use that freedom of choice, that freedom of will, that God, the source, the creator, the universe, whatever you choose to call it, gave you, and use it wisely. And Freemasonry helps to teach you how to use that wisely. Wow. This has been a very, very, <laughs> very awesome an hour and two minutes, man. Seriously. I thought Michael, you might like it. Thank you so very much, man. We're going to have to wind this up. Pat, do you want to close any closing statements, my friend? No, I just, I, I knew that it would be very interesting. He's, he's a treat to talk to. It's always educational. Yeah. Um, very, very bright man. And so I just, I wanted to make sure that I was able to share him with the world. How's that? Well, and we all appreciate it, man. Mr. Michael Chavello, uh, both of you guys, Access TV Fight uh, announcers. This is this has been awesome, man. I, I like again. I'm gonna be probably just sitting out back, like drool coming out of my mouth, just getting my mind around all of this. Thank you, thank you again so much, both of you guys, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate all you do. Appreciate the information that you've given us today. Um, lots to chew on. Lots to chew on. And we we need it, man. Jeffrey, yeah. Uh, thank thank you very much in. for having me on. And Pat, thank you. You know, Pat wrote the uh, the forward for my book. 
and I'll be always forever eternally grateful for that. And uh, hopefully, if people want to know more about Freemasonry, especially the Sonic Symbols, check out the book. It's in there, and it will tell you how you can start to use some of our symbols to improve your own life, even though you're not a Freemason. These symbols are out there for everyone, so learn yeah. to use them and take advantage of them. And I hope people will go on Amazon, check the book out, and uh, really enjoy it. Yeah, the book, the book is Know Thyself, and it's, I listened to the voicemail myself from the CEO of the, of the oldest company that's, that's been in uh, printing Masonic uh, books for how long, Michael? How long have they been printing? Oh, geez, for almost, I think, 100 years, if not yeah, more. And, and this CEO said he's read, along with his board of directors, have read thousands of Masonic works and said that, without a doubt, that this book is the greatest literary work of any Mason ever he's, that he's ever read. Wow. So that tells you how good the book is. Wow. I definitely need to snag a copy, and I definitely suggest everyone does as well know thyself using the symbols of Freemasonry to improve your life by Michael Chavello. Again, man, thank you so very much for your time. Patrick, again, we're going to do it again here in a few days. Thank you for your time as always. Yep, and thank you, Michael, buddy. Appreciate it, and I'll see you in a couple thank days. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. All right, everyone, peace and all that love. This has been Michael Chavello and Mr. Uh, Patrick J. Millage, as well as myself for another episode of The Conspiracy Farm. Everyone, take care. Peace and all that love.